and welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. And, man, we have a long-lost, a long-lost friend of the show joining us today. On the show today, uh, has not been on, I'm going to say, almost two years. Something Liam like O'Doherty from Taking It at Global. Uh, we're just going to cut right into it. Welcome to the show, Liam. Good morning. Uh, we also, of course, are sitting in studio uh, as usual. Mm-hmm. with Stefan Hostetter, who's here too. Uh, and today we have two things, and as I said, we're going to get right into it, but I want to just tease one thing. Uh, I launched, and I want to get this out of the way right in the beginning, because I think it's a good idea, and uh, people seem to like it. We've already had some interaction. Every single week on the show, I post all of the links to the news items that I find. Uh, some of them we talk about, some of them we don't. Sometimes I separate them by ones we've talked about and ones that we don't. But essentially, this is my shorthand list. I essentially use the Twitter feed to retweet every story that I think is relevant to Canadians. But I make a short list for the show for things that I think are worth talking about. Uh, and, and of that list, sometimes there's just too many things and we can't get to everything. And sometimes that's because some of them are less important. Sometimes that's just because there isn't enough time. So we've launched a new feature, which is that there's now a button on the website which says vote for the news. And it's the same post. The show post goes up every week, except instead of just being a list of links, you will now be able to vote for what you think the most important story was. Not just for the sake of fanfare, but because we're going to use those votes to dictate future interviews and investigations. So if people are really excited about a news story, whether we talked about it or not, and you guys tell us you want to hear more, we will seek out a, an interview on that topic, direct democracy in the news. So we've got two things happening today. We're going to talk to Liam, and we've got a ton of news. The reason I wanted to start with that is that there is no way <laughs> at all that we will possibly get to all of the news, but you can tell us which ones that you want us to follow up with, uh, and we will do our best to do an interview in all cases where that's not possible. We will simply look into it. But interactive democracy here on The Green Majority now, uh, only after eight years. Yeah. It's now democratic. <laughs> what are you going to do? Let's get right into it. Liam O'Doherty here from on the, the show live in the studio, which is all, always a pleasure. He's going to stick around the whole show and help us talk about some news. Uh, but first, let's talk about you. Liam, you're with Taking It Global, and you. Uh, my understanding is that essentially your job is to travel the world being magical. Uh, something like that. Is that That's on your business card? It's one of the things that I do, maybe. <laughs> Taking It Global is a large website. It's, uh, I've described it, and you can tell me if this is fair, but essentially it's a Facebook-type application, but specifically designed to connect people who are working on social issues. It's targeted towards youth, and it is global in scale. So you're trying to connect people who need to be connected to thereby empower and grow their movements, foster connections so that people can get out of just their little area and team up with some larger networks. Um, You've been there for a number of years now. Before we get into some of the things you weren't joining us today to talk about some initiatives that you personally and Taking It Global are involved with that you wanted to promote. Uh, but first, let's just talk a bit more about that. Taking It Global has been around for, I have to say, almost eight years now? Since 1999, actually. 1999. So we're, we're pushing 16. So how's it going? It's it's going incredibly well. Um, the network just keeps growing, and uh, there's so many different interesting collaborations and partners and movements, uh, and just interesting people and challenges to work on. And uh, so as long as there are challenges in the world, and there are interesting young people who are working on them. Um, putting those two things together is really engaging and inspiring work. And so in a lot of ways, I know you're, um, you're sort of a born problem solver. So what are what are some of the uh, what are some of the things that have been issues? What are some of the barriers that both you and taking a global have tried to address? So I mean, it 
it ranges the full gambit from uh, youth participation in governance to gender equality to how do we revolutionize our education system so that young people's voices are being represented uh, to obviously all these environmental issues as well. And anything that young people want to connect about, uh, talk about and examine in their own context, as well as kind of the commonalities across their different individual experiences, we serve as a platform to kind of connect that conversation and advance the movements of uh, young people around the world. Well, I think I think part of the thing that makes sense about that too is that I mean, in some senses, uh, an organization that's tightly focused on a specific outcome or a specific goal that they're trying to achieve, you need that to get sort of you know progress on certain issues specifically. Um, but I think the other uh, the other end of that that taking a global addresses with their with the resources is that it understands, I guess, in a way that you can't really separate, and that in that you know uh, social justice issues and gender issues and uh, access to to clean drinking water and stuff like that, uh, these are all issues that are all mangled together and you kind of really can't separate them and I think it's uh, taking it global as the, an understanding that you sort of need to deal with this in a systemic sense and so can you talk more about some of those systemic linkages um, maybe uh, even reference some of the places that you've been with some examples absolutely and so uh, that kind of integration of different issues and understanding how they came together also neatly tracks onto my own kind of trajectory through the organization where uh, some of like the first conferences and, and initiatives that I got involved in were very much around the kind of climate change space and sustainable development space. Um, but as different issues kind of come into vogue and raise uh, the kind of public's attention and get get on people's radars, uh, energy and resources and kind of attention shifts towards those. And so I found myself working much more in the kind of uh, youth and gender rights space and even more into the kind of much more into the policy space than I guess I would be comfortable in at first. Uh, but all of these things are so interconnected that you can't really look at one without the other and being involved in all of these different conversations and also acting between them so that people in the gender uh, uh, health space are talking to people within the environmental space and understanding the interlinkages and how they can learn from working together uh, has been a really incredible, incredible journey. So I want to uh, get in a little bit to some of the specific things that you came to talk about today. Let's start with decarbonize, which was funny because uh, you and I hadn't seen each other in quite some time. And we met up uh, a little while ago and we were just talking and, and decarbonize came out of your, my mouth and you're like, aha, that's like my word of the century. Uh, Talk to us about the that mobilization. It's about mobilizing leading up to COP21. Uh, but I want you to start with why you like the word decarbonize. Absolutely. So I really, really enjoy decarbonize as a word because it's, it's – to me, uh, the one word solution to climate change. H how do we solve the climate crisis? Well, we need to decarbonize our lives, we need to decarbonize our cities, and we need to decarbonize the systems that you know make up both of those things in our world. Um, and so in advance of the climate change conference in Paris, we are basically going to be convening um, an educational mobilization where we're going to be working with schools in several different countries and using a series of video conferences to basically synthesize their opinions together and have them examine and look at uh, how we have got to this point and more importantly what we're going to do about it together and what are the kind of uh, nuances of our specific country context what are some of the issues that appear in multiple countries and how they might be slightly different or how we can kind of synthesize those different perspectives to get a much more uh, globally oriented mindset on issues like water access or on 
education and sustainable development? Or how are we going to power uh, our cities and our lives? And then finally, what are we going to do about it? Because um, implementing personal action as well as mobilizing for more systemic political change uh, is something that young people need to be involved in. And so providing a platform to connect uh, young people on the ground in the COP conference in Paris in December this year and schools around the world who have and young people who have a huge stake in solving this uh, crisis uh, seemed like a really interesting and fun thing to mobilize around. Mm-hmm. Well, and something that uh, I've I've brought up and I've I've sort of softly challenged you on every single time you've been on the show, and I'd be remiss if I didn't do it to you today because I well, but specifically not just as a repeat, but because I'm wondering now if there's if you have a, a, a if there's been any evolution in your opinion on this. Um, it, it, Obviously, none of these are hard and fast rules, but generally speaking, um, conservative-ended parties tend to be the parties across the planet that are slowing down decarbonization efforts and climate change efforts, generally speaking. Generally speaking, I know I'm, I'm lay- layering generalities now, so take that in context, but now also generally speaking, uh, generally conservative voters tend to lean towards an older segment of the population. And it also generally – we're up to three generalities now – uh, generally tends to be those older groups that tend to sort of dismiss the political uh, interests of the younger folks saying that, you know, they're naive, they haven't figured it out yet, they'll get conservative when they're older. And for now, basically, it's for everyone's best. It's for everyone. It's in everyone's interest if we just sort of keep them out of the conversation because they, they should be at the kids table, stay away from the adult discussion has been the attitude. And so I think the, those three factors where they're all true at the same time has made it incredibly difficult. It's a massive uphill battle for youth to be in any way involved in these conversations in any in anything more than a uh, than a sort of protest stance, can you update us on? Uh, first of all, do you agree with that assessment? And second of all, can you update us on you think the status of that? Are youth getting actually involved in these conversations in a meaningful way, or is this largely protest slash tokenistic? Yeah. So I was going to first uh, counter with yeah protest, kind of being outside of that system, being marginalized and pushing back against it would be one major thing that we've seen. And then tokenism kind of on the other end, where within uh, those systems of power, uh, you know, you I've seen a, an increasing interest in wanting to at least appear to be representative of young people's views. Um, even within uh, some of the like UNFCCC, which is the convening body, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Um, up until very recently, they had a rule where there were no minors actually allowed into the center uh, ex- unless like for the for the proceedings, unless there were very, very specific reasons. That has been relaxed. So that uh, tends to kind of indicate that there is a bit of a softening and that they want to make young people's participation uh, more accessible and easier. There's also definitely been a real focus on just getting young people into the table and onto onto the uh, mindsets and into the into the ears and into the into the faces potentially of some <laughs> of the uh, the politicians because really uh, the people who are currently in power are not the ones who are going to be solving this problem and we are and so in a lot of ways having us there is. Uh, maybe even more important than some of the world leaders. They're going to sign a document, but we're going to be the ones doing the work. Well, I just wanted to throw to Stefan for a second because uh, uh, you have, uh, about five, I think for about five weeks ago, we had the episode and you did An Ode to Climate Troll, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great uh, spoken word slash poem sure. that Stefan wrote for the show. Uh, it's actually posted in PDF format on the show, uh, if you're interested. Uh, but the, the point of that story was that was the hilarity of having a, a troll who shall not be named, does mm-hmm. not deserve to be named, mm-hmm. uh, at a public 
event here in Toronto about the climate uh, and watching him actively seek out the youngest, most innocent looking young woman that he could find to try and get on camera saying something stupid or badly phrased or whatever so that he could make it look bad on his website. Mm. Um, and the and the young woman just absolutely lacerated him. <laughs> and the best part about the whole thing was I'm, I was watching her face the entire time and she, I'm pretty sure, my personal assessment would be is that she had no idea who she was talking to. This mm. wasn't that she, she knew she was up against someone who was trying to trick her. She just, even without knowing it, just embarrassed this guy, <laughs> embarrassed this professional troll. And that's what I find so, so fascinating about it. I don't know if you want to, if you want to add to that. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, no, I think it's, uh, what I, I think what perhaps the image of that I find so funny is here's someone who, um, you know, here's a man who's, you know, 50, 60, made his entire life defending oil, uh, coming around trying to make a bunch of kids try to look, look foolish because he knows how the world works. Uh, and, and then to A, not be able to do it, which was so satisfying. <laughs> uh, but then to B, it's like, talk about the ultimate form of selfishness. I don't have to deal with these problems, so I'm going to go around trying to embarrass people who do have to deal with these problems just so I can feel good about myself. Yeah. It's like, if ever there was an example of sort of the new, the new way of youth taking over uh, and, uh, the old sort of guard, I think, just watching a 60-year-old man try to make, like, high university students look not as smart as they are uh is perhaps a perfect example of that Mm -hmm. and i don't know if you wanted to comment on that on that fact liam but it's it seems to me but you spend a hell of a lot more time around actually working with uh youth in various places than i do but it it seems to me that the kids these days if i can sound old for a minute (laughs) they're they know what they're talking about most of them are pretty darn well informed and it's not a bunch of sort of people sort of holding signs and yelling and not really knowing what they're talking about the youth today seem like they're fairly mobilized and they seem like they're fairly well-informed and they get the problems and they get the solutions and they understand how to talk about it. And, and I'm consistently impressed. Uh, even thinking about just that youthful mindset and the kind of like integrated approach and the idea that, you know, we might be wrong or someone else's opinion from a different perspective is equally valid in these types of arguments and that getting outside of our own context and th- synthesizing across issues and across our individual experiences of these issues, I think that's kind of baked into uh, an internet-connected world. Um, and one of the things that I'm really thankful for and I think is, is a really neat thing is some of the people who um, were – people don't necessarily grow out of being young. And even <laughs> as you, you know, advance in your ages, uh, some of those people move into positions of power and then use those positions of power to create even larger platforms for young people to really get in and mobilize. And so to be able to uh, acknowledge and advan- take advantage of those uh, and then f- make that accessible to even larger and more diverse groups of young people is, I think, one of the really, really exciting things that's going on within the climate change movement, but also um, across several of the different kind of streams and threads that I find myself in right now. All right. So uh, if you're just tuning in now, we're talking to Liam O'Doherty from Taking It Global uh, about all things, well, at this point, climate change, but at a, from a more global perspective than we generally cover them here on the show. Uh, before we go to our first break uh, in a couple of minutes now, I want to get to one of the other two things that you'd specifically brought to our attention, uh, or, or one of uh, two of four, maybe actually here. Um, but the post-2015 mapping project, uh, I only had a brief opportunity to look at this, but uh, from what I can see, essentially, is, as you said, from uh, poverty, hunger, education, uh, gender and women issues, child mortality, uh, maternal health, disease and environment, all of these things. And you're essentially mapping initiatives globally on all of those issues uh, for the um, for well, let me you tell me for what purpose. So basically, there's this whole new development paradigm that was just 
uh, kind of reached consensus at the UN uh, a, couple, a month ago. And this is about to be ratified as the uh, post-2015 Sustainable Development Goal Agenda or Action 2030. There's several different names for it going on in the UN space. Uh, that'll uh, get a bunch of attention in September. Uh, in advance of that, we wanted to make sure that all of the different projects who are working kind of under this framework are able to at least find each other, be aware that there are other actors doing similar things um, to potentially, you know, create and accelerate a community of practice around these different goals and these different targets, as well as to set up kind of knowledge sharing, capacity building, maybe even some uh, organic mentorship that just might come up. Basically, in solving all of these issues, both integrating across the different issues is really important, but mm -hmm. also connecting conversations across the different instances of these conversations is important. And so uh, we have a platform that we've used called Youth Movements for mapping and connecting these different um, projects and organizations around the world. And we felt that it was a, a really good opportunity under this new paradigm, which will last for the next 15 years of international and global development, uh, to start that conversation and to just build that platform to allow for that connectivity to accelerate. Mm. And uh, so it's in beta at the moment, um, so don't uh, maybe just yet crash their servers, but there is a submit initiative button I can see already live now on the site. Um, do you want to tell people before I say go ahead and you know everybody crash the, the website, what is, it, what is it exactly that you're looking for to be submitted? So actually the site that you're looking at is the first completed version. Hmm. We are now uh, – posting a kind of call for entries to our second version. So like mm. we have the visualization and kind of like the mapping template, which is what you're looking at. Mm. Um, but basically what we're looking at is if you are working on a project that fits under the uh, sustainable development framework, one of those 17 targets, um, we have a link that maybe uh, could be tweeted out. I think that's probably the easiest way because it's not necessarily very easy to say <laughs> online. Uh, well, everything but, will be posted on the website as well. Um, and so basically if you're working under these uh, – frames and issues and want to be connected with other organizations, if you fill out a one-minute form that explains what you're doing and what that is about, uh, you will be added to this map that will then allow you to make those connections as you like. Awesome. Uh, so the the uh, the next thing here was the and I and I actually we um, I think you added this after I had a chance to sort of skim through some of this stuff. So you're you're going to have to help me on this one. The EQWIP. What's that about? Equip. Uh, it's basically an effort um, from three different organizations within Canada, Canada World Youth. Um, Youth Challenge International, Taking It Global, and a bunch of other partners around the world. We're going to be working in six different countries and 17 urban centers to um, support young people to uh, start their own businesses, uh, to get employed, and to orient towards the new green economy and gender equality. Uh, and so that's just another big, exciting project that I'm, I'm looking forward to working on. You have your hands in so many pies. It's almost like you're at CSI or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to go to our, our break here in just a moment. There's uh, one last thing you wanted to talk about. And then, I, and then I also pitched to you as well that I wanted to have a short discussion about uh, action at the UN, global level action, and how um, uh, a big part of the issue is that we do not currently, uh, despite the fact that so many people are working very hard to fix that uh, – Almost everyone who works in that space would admit, would concede uh, that there is several problems, obviously, with our global ability to react to problems. The UN, is, in its current state, is a very broken mechanism. Uh, can it be fixed? Should it be fixed? We're going to talk about that when we come back after the break. So we're going to go now to Jason, who is going to tell us what our first music break here on The Green Majority is going to be. We're going to go to a tune called uh, Without Again by Elliot Brood. 
right, and we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CAT 89.5 FM. I am your host, Darren Kaster, sitting in studio with the one and only Stefan Hostetter. Hi, Dan. And Liam O'Doherty from Taking It Global. Hello. Hello. <laughs> we're, uh, we've been talking about uh, a number of initiatives that uh, the organization that Liam works for, Taking It Global, have been working on. Um, we have one more quickly, and then I want to have a very brief discussion on global level action. Uh, the you know, what can we improve the UN to solve some of these problems? Can it be fixed? Should we be finding alternative routes? Uh, Liam has far more knowledge on this and direct involvement than us, so I'm going to ask him that question, and we're going to have a little chat about it uh, based on his answer in just a moment. But before we get to that, you had one final thing that you wanted to talk about, which is the uh, Senegal and Tanzania to that uh, connect and transform economic economic trajectory for youth. What's that about? So that's actually the Equip Project. That's the goal of the Equip Project. Oh, I see you. Uh, and so those are some of the places that we'll be working. Would you like to talk about it again? Um, <laughs> I think we're good. Well, let's keep things moving. So my apologies. There, I, it was seemed like a, a second line. And I, yes, all right. It was. Uh, that's why you were confused when I said there was four items. So that's perfect. Mm-hmm. So let's jump right into it. So, um, so you and I have had this uh, conversation off air numerous times. Stefan and I have also talked about this to some degree off air numerous times. Uh, but I want to ask you that question: uh, Can the UN be fixed? Should it be fixed? Is that our main focus? Uh, for dealing with global level problems, we seem to need global level solutions. Currently, the UN does not seem to be in a position to do that. Do we fix it? How do we fix it? Where do we go from here? So to start as broadly as, you know, how can the UN fix all of the world's problems is a, is a tricky and perhaps unrealistic expectation on any individual one body. Why not? It'd be so much easier. I know. It's so, so much easier to just externalize and be like, <laughs> couldn't just some global power solve this all for us? Um, but what I would say is that the UN's power in terms of acting as a convening force, it's one of those more soft powers where um, based on the way that the structure of nation states works, uh, there isn't as much of uh, an ability for the UN to make people do things. Uh, they can do things themselves, but holding people accountable to the commitments that they make, to the things that they say in General Assembly, to the commitments that they put on paper and talk about very proudly in front of the world, it's really difficult to say, hey, nation state, you didn't do the things that you said, and now we're going to do this. Uh, what is this? Um, so the the way in which that power is kind of wielded or influence or it has influence is by setting the stage, setting expectations, kind of convening a table to say, hey, hey, world, uh, this climate change issue or sustainable development or gender issues is a huge issue. We need to do something about it. Here's what's working in one context. Here potentially are resources that other countries who want to do things that would take action on these issues could access and could implement and programs um, to, to, act, to implement that. But like, it's not as if the UN is the one world government that uh, acts and enforces all of this kind of, you must do this. And, and I mean, even the ability to do that for something as, as uh, you know, intrinsically good as protecting human rights, the amount of power and force that would be required to do that is something that I think might be a little bit scary and that I'm not necessarily entirely comfortable with because the ability to for that to be abused would also potentially be very dangerous but liam uh, alex jones has been talking an awful lot about agenda 21 i don't know i think they're they are trying to take over the world but uh, anyway that'll be another show <laughs> uh, i was kidding in case anyone was confused about that um so but here's so here's something that i think um i'm confused about and i think i think a lot of people are unclear on which is exactly what 
is the main sort of um, issue that people say when people say that the UN is broken. Uh, my very, very thin understanding of it, and I'm hoping that you'll educate us here a little bit, is that a big part of the problem is what's known as the Security Council, which is a whole bunch of permanent seats on a Security Council. Then there's one, I believe, rotating seat. Uh, and that essentially these group of nations can veto stuff. Uh, it just doesn't matter. They don't need a reason. They can just be like, nope. We're not doing that. So what role is – how much of the problem is the security, permanent security council issue where certain countries just have been made global superpowers by uh, – as a consequence of World War II and that now essentially we're uh, – the, the entire world is – you know where, where certain countries can actually prevent other countries from, for instance, teaming up to solve a problem. Uh, can you just explain that a little more? So uh, the – which countries were in power at the end of World War II and how that was divided up is one kind of key – deciding who has how much influence within the UN, how much countries are paying for the UN is another way in which kind of influence happens. Um, the Security Council sure has uh, different kind of structural inequalities and ways in which uh, it's very dysfunctional and sometimes, um, but the, the 10, the, the like structures within the UN that I tend to work within is not the Security Council because I don't have that kind of a background. Um, <laughs> I'm much more focused on more things like the United Nations Population Fund, which deals with um, sexual reproductive health and rights and gender equality uh, and making sure that every life matters. Uh, and things like UN Habitat, which is uh, a fund and uh, a program that basically explores the urban agenda and how people are working within cities. Um, I think the UN itself has a bit of a, uh, an image problem where people just see the General Assembly, which is seen as you know world leaders just talking to themselves and trying to get little sound bites, and the Security Council, which is from outside perspectives and potentially reality, uh, it's kind of like a unbalanced wielding of power uh, via consensus and veto, uh, which causes problems. And there's so much more to that that is uh, more engaging and that I think is more accessible to young people and trying to put those things kind of at the forefront of the agenda so that young people realize that it's not just those two very high-level conversations that they can get involved in um, is one of the main challenges that I think the UN has and actually uh, – telling the world what it does and also getting the world involved in what it is doing. One of the ways I visualized it before is kind of like if you had a, a university with only one frat and that frat was where all the rich kids went and all of the, almost all those kids were also the, uh, the children of the faculty. That would sort of get us at a very similar sort of metaphor, which is that they don't technically have the authority to overrule anything, but in the reality of day-to-day -day university life, they essentially run that school. Uh, and I feel very similarly, at least that's my sort of emotional impression to watching uh, things happen on the world stage. So when we're having a lot of these problems, when we're going forward, you know, when we've talked about, you know, previous shows about quote-unquote failed climate talks in the past, uh, is has anything changed leading up to Paris now? Is there any reason to, to be hopeful that we will not simply have a repeat of these completely pathetic disasters, which what I'll title the response to previous <laughs> COP meetings. So one thing that I've been looking at is just what is the conversations around the world and the media's perception of it, of climate change overall. And I think the cultural conversation has evolved immensely where it's not in back in COP15, which in my uh, estimation was the last time when a, like a global agreement was kind of on the table between then and now. Uh, Climate change and the way in which it's perceived is no longer something that we're going to have to deal with. It's now something that we are dealing with now. And things like the drought in California and uh, the floods in, in New York, for example, have really brought that to um, 
the the hearts and minds of Americans, and and that shifts in some ways, at least our perception of the global conversation here in Canada. Um, and so I think now there's much more political will and things just have become so much more politically feasible. And so that makes it a really exciting time. Also from the UNFCCC, they've really been cranking up the rhetoric. They don't necessarily have control over what all these nations are going to come and sign. But by talking about it as if it's going to happen, uh, they make it more likely to happen. And so I've seen the head of the UNFCCC use more bold language um, about what this meeting is going to be about and setting the expectations really high so that it makes it harder for the political leaders to be problematic and to, to walk away without the agreement that everyone expects to happen. They're hoping to trigger a self-fulfilling prophecy, exactly. which is that if you talk about it enough, everyone will just assume it's going to happen anyway and therefore won't bother fighting it. Well, well, that's one thing. <laughs> that's something anyway. Uh, we're going to spend a lot more time talking about cop stuff. I think increasingly now as we get past uh, – as we get towards the, the election, we'll start essentially splitting our time, I think, 50-50 <laughs> between election issues and, and, and cop. But I think, I think for now, let's leave it there. I'd like to get into the news. And uh, Stefan, you've been pretty quiet so far. So why don't you <clears> jump in with one of the ones that you had picked out for this week? Uh, yeah. So there was um, – speaking of, speaking of the elections uh, or at least of the Canadian elections and Stephen Harper, uh, there was a bunch of – of sort of it's interesting is there's an announcement came out of you know, Unistone camp uh, about theoretically the RCMP using Bill C51 or testing Bill 51's powers uh, on a mass raid of Unistone camp um, different parts of that have been have been sort of walked back uh, especially whether or not Bill C51 was going to be included at all would be a part of this uh, the RCMP has now come out and basically said we were never going to do it at all uh, because there's questions about you know, how do you trust someone when when how do you trust someone they weren't going to do something yeah it's uh, a, and that, that was the sort of one thing I wanted to point out about that story was that it's entirely possible and of course there's, it's impossible to know for mm. now but it's entirely possible that it may have been about to go ahead and of course we don't know but it may have been about to go ahead and then the the news story saying that it might be about to happen got so much traffic and they really did they oh, were yeah. really they were all over the place that that in itself made them sort of be like okay we don't actually want to do this under national spotlight um, so, I mean, again, who's to say? I'm not saying that's what happened, but it very well could have been what happened. Yeah. So uh, just a bit of background. Uh, Unistone Camp is a uh, – Unistone Territory. As it was, Unistone Camp is on Unistone Traditional Territory. Uh, and it's been there since 2010. Uh, it's been a nonviolent occupation of the space. Uh, first, actually, the goal was to be in the way of uh, the Pacific Trail natural gas pipeline. Uh, and it's now expanded to, cover, to block uh, also the en Enbridge Northern Gateway pipeline and the Trans-Canada Coastal Gas Link pipeline. Uh, so those three pipelines that all sort of theoretically go through the space. Uh, one of them is being built just around the camp uh, through other land, <laughs> um, as, you know, as you could sort of expect, given the amount of power that these sort of companies have. Um, but this camp has been going around for has been around for five years uh, and has been fighting this sort of battle. And so on Friday, when uh, Grand Chief Stuart Phillip of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs warned uh, of potential mass arrests, that was sort of the call out for help, mm -hmm. uh, which then got you know, got massive attention. It it, it it blew up to some extent, um, and and there was a whole bunch of response from like from from lawyers in BC. There's a whole bunch of response from people all over Canada. Uh, the the fund set up raised money from as far away as Sweden. Uh, actually, the Vice article that talks about it says as far away from Sweden and North Carolina, which I think is just a very <laughs> funny set of two. I don't entirely know why North Carolina is in the same 
same breath as Sweden. Uh, but maybe North Carolinians don't usually care about things in Canada. To be fair, anyone from North Carolina knowing Canada exists beyond sort of it as a homogeneous blob is kind of impressive. I always forget. Is North Carolina the good one or South Carolina? I always get those mixed up. Uh, I'm, I'm, American there, audience, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is I'm there just, a good Carolina? There, now that, now it's not. That actually, <laughs> now we're just getting controversial. Yes, now we're, exactly. I'm getting a bunch of really angry messages from North Carolina If you want to send Sweden. Stefan Hostetter a uh, hate mail, you can do it at greenmajority.ca slash contact. Um, uh, I want to move it along just to another because it's another related story mm-hmm. here, uh, and I want to keep moving because we have a, a ton of stuff. Um, but is of course uh, this last uh, weekend, I believe uh, there was another story, uh, Miss Universe. Uh, was uh, announced, and it was uh, not only Canada's first win, I understand, but also our first uh, First Nations or Indigenous uh, Canadian who won this uh, this award. Uh, her name is Ashley Collingbull, and she immediately used the media attention to draw attention to First Nations uh, issues in Canada, which, of course, caused outrage. <clears throat> How dare you? Uh, you're spo- we you know we gave you a prize because you were pretty. Um, and uh, you're not supposed to talk about politics. And her response was, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> uh, and it was great. And I just wanted to know, I mean, I, I have a couple of opinions about it quickly, but I wonder if anyone else wanted to comment on, do you, I mean, it's, it's, it's slightly more complicated because of who she is and what she's commenting on. But like, generally, there's already this outcry that whenever any sort of sort of celebrity for anything other than the thing they choose to talk about tries to talk about it, we had the same thing with uh, James Cameron, when he mm-hmm. came up to the tar sands, Bill Nye was here, that's another thing we may or may not get to uh, came up to the tar sands is always like a celebrity and is like, ah, keep your mouth shut. And she's not having any of it. And I absolutely love this woman. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think as a as a miss as, as a miss universe kind of thing, you get maybe three days in the spotlight you know like you, you have power sort of throughout the year but for national attention you maybe have th- you know, a week max uh, before something else happens uh, and so to come you have to come out absolutely swing I, I, I bet you know, there's like a list of things she had on her list if I win this these are the hit, I'm hitting every news show with every one of these because everyone wants to talk to you right yeah and so you get you get this platform for a week and a half and it <laughs> seems like she was just geared up and ready to go for it so kudos to being having that sort of forethought to know like exactly Exactly. You know, if she'd waited three months and then said something, it would be a byline in the Metro News, maybe. Yeah. Um, but something like, but a, uh, but you, when you have the national attention, we're on all those shows. That's the time to do it. Yeah. Uh, so if anything, this is the exact right way to use any sort of fame for weird things like the Miss Universe pageant. Yeah. And uh, so we haven't done this in a while, but uh, and and I, and I apologize to to Ashley herself uh, that we don't actually have any sort of official prize. Uh, but uh, can it can it be said that Ashley Ashley Collingbull wins? the green majority this week she's this week's winner of the show <laughs> sure all right officially <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be passed uh so i well, something else i really wanted to uh get into as well uh because we're going to use it as our music break here in just a moment i'm assuming are we ready jason's nodding at me uh which was another thing uh that happened uh this week or actually rather i believe it happened last week uh but we just didn't get to it which is harbor man most of you have heard about this. Uh, those of you who haven't, we're going to play the song in just a moment, so get ready. Uh, but Environment Canada scientist Tony Turner wrote a political protest song about Stephen Harper, and now he's essentially been fired, or he was he was put on leave while he's being investigated by the government. Uh, this, of course, he did not ask permission to speak to the media, i.e. he's not allowed to have an opinion on a public platform. Um, this, is, uh, this is an interesting case because... Uh, it's it's something where if this wasn't in Canada right now and he'd done it on this issue, I may have had less sympathy because I don't think under different circumstances with a different government on a different topic that it may actually have been inappropriate. I don't think he deserved to, to lose his job, but I could see it, there being a reasonable argument that it's inappropriate. However, 
considering the fact that we're in year six of an active war on science, go Tony, Tony Turner. Uh, <laughs> I just think it's awesome. So we're going to play the song in a second. I was wondering if either of you had any uh, comments just before we went to the to the music break about this. Uh, does he he gets a full pass or just a mostly pass? I'm giving him a 98% pass. Do you do you agree? Well, I really like whenever people bring a lot of creativity and the arts into their protests. So uh, a tip of the cap to Mr. T. No, oh, tip of the cap. Any wagging the finger from Stefan? Uh, well, they're also the Raging Grannies are a part of this. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> we had one on the show. Exactly. Ago. We had a, we've had a couple of Harper's best friends uh, all in this one <laughs> all in this one great song. Mm. So yeah, I mean, and I just want to be clear. Of course, I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to say that for the sake of you know, for for being fair, I can understand under different circumstances, you know, why somebody might not have been super thrilled that somebody did this. But this this is the Canada we live in. That's mm-hmm. my real point. This is the Canada we live in right now, where people have to do this. We have to do this, where where government employees are being silenced from talking about the things that they're hired by the government to do. That's nonsense. And so, as a celebration and, and solidarity with Tony Turner, we are now going to listen to Harper Man. Controls our parliament. Harperman, Harperman. Who squashes all dissent? Harperman, Harperman. The Duffy handout incident. No respect for environment. Harperman, it's time for you to go. Who's the king of secrecy? Harperman, Harperman. Who has slashed the CDC? Harperman, Harperman. Money for PTSD accuses good judge Beverly. Hopper man, it's time for you to go. We want you gone, gone, gone. You and your pawn, pawn, pawn. No more pawn, pawn, pawn. Time to move on, on, on. Get out of town, town, town. Don't want you round, round, round. Hopper man, it's time for you to go. Well, who's the road? Exchange. Harper Man, it's time for you to go. Whose smarmy smile is a thin veneer? Harper Man, Harper Man. Who preaches the politics of fear? Harper Man, Harper Man. Ignores the plight of native folks. Missing women, it's no joke. Harper Man, it's time for you to go. We want you gone, gone, gone. Dropping payload in Iraq. All right, we're coming back here. Where the the song is almost six minutes long, so we're going to leave it there. You can easily try. I'm, uh, I'm going to post it on the show post, but if that's what you're looking for, you don't need to go to the show post. <laughs> just type in Harper Man, you'll find it. Uh, and of course, I just want to use this brief opportunity to reiterate the show's position on this particular issue, because as I've said repeatedly, the Green Majority itself is a nonpartisan uh, agency, and we do not take political sides. However. Under this current prime minister, the conservative party's platform is directly anti-science and directly anti-environment. And under that, 
It's got to go, man. It's got to go. Uh, that and and I want to add one other thing, which is that I actually look forward. And this this I just want to say this as well to to ultimately clarify my position on this issue. I look forward. I genuinely do, and I'm not being the slightest bit sarcastic. I genuinely look forward to the next head of the Conservative Party bringing forward some very conservative approaches to deal with climate change. I am absolutely open to any party. I don't care really. I really don't care what party you're from. I'm, I'm very interested in hearing what the Conservative Party might propose as a conservative approach to deal with climate change. But if you're denying the problem exists, you got to go. <laughs> well, I, like, I think what's, what's funny with saying that is the number one thing that basically everyone is now calling for is a carbon market <clears throat> in one way or the other. What what more conservative thing could you possibly want than creating a <laughs> nether market? Market-based solutions, <laughs> it's like, friend. It's, we're literally – like everyone on the left is say, has finally decided to say we need a market for something. And this is the one-time conservatives are like, eh, do we? <laughs> do we need to try to make money on this one specific thing? I don't know about it. Yeah. So uh, – and, and we're actually uh, – that's funny. Somebody actually sent me an article about uh, sort of capitalistic approaches to these sorts of things uh, the other day. And I read it and I very much enjoyed it. We're going to – it's a whole thing though. We're going to get into it on another show. But we'll come back to that um but now i basically i've got three things left here uh, i don't know if you gentlemen have anything to to add to it but i think we've got enough time to, to skim through them as they are uh again i'm sorry i was so excited about the song there i forgot to reintroduce if you're just tuning in you're listening to the green majority i'm your host aaron caster uh and uh, the three things we've got here one of them uh well let's stick with politics for one more and then we'll be sort of done with it for now so one of them is that elizabeth may uh announced uh, uh i believe it was yesterday or two days ago um that the green party is focusing resources in in uh, 10 specific writings. They actually put out a very funny, uh, I thought it was funny, uh, ad that was a fake weather report. I don't know. Did you guys see that? I didn't, uh, no. I didn't share it in length. It's, it's quite clever. They, they essentially did it. Uh, one of the green candidates, uh, uh, her name is uh, blanking on me at the moment, um, but pretended to be a weather person and was talking about all these, wait, look, a wave of green on the northern fire, whatever. <laughs> it was very cute. Um, but essentially what this seems to me was that it, it was a not-so-subtle nod to essentially say, you know, uh, if we have a chance in these writings, other parties, please let, let us have it. We will be there to keep an eye on some of the uh, – to, to help you develop some of these environmental uh, focus and also provide some oversight because the Green Party is not just about environment. Uh, Elizabeth May has been the unofficial fact-checker in every single debate she's ever been. Uh, ever been in uh, just completely she knows her stuff inside and out um, and so their uh, their uh, strategy appears to be voting for us doesn't mean you're splitting the vote we just want these seats and uh, we'll sort of stick out of the other ones uh, let democracy decide it um, but I want to know what you guys uh, think about that and obviously not as far as like saying well yes we definitely need uh, any Greenpeace elected or, or whatnot, but as far as like a strategy for an underdog party that's had very trouble breaking into the mainstream, what do you guys think of that as a just a, just as a strategy for for an underdog political party to take? I think it's the only one that has any chance and chance to work. <laughs> I think like that's it. You know, the there are hundreds of weird small political parties uh, that might get you know point two percent of the vote um, at, at nationally. Um, and they never win anything because they, you know, they they don't have the sort of organization to actually try to win specific writings. Um, the the fact the only reason Elizabeth May was in the debate at all was because she actually won a seat. If they hadn't focused on winning that seat for her, there's no way she'd be in the debate. Mm. You're like no one takes you seriously as a party unless you have at least one seat. Um, well, and then now they they're like, well, even though you have seats, well, it's not like you have four seats. Well, exactly. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like I think you know, I think it's the I think focusing on that is the only only chance you have uh, as a small party like that because 
to well, a it helps garner support for those few writings. It, it, it signals to your supporters that hey, if you're in one of these ten writings, we actually could would like you to vote for us. Hmm. Um, and, and they didn't pick them randomly; they picked them based on oh, ones. No, they sure. think they have a very good chance. Well, of obviously, winning, so. yeah, it would be really weird to pick them randomly. It's like I hmm. think the next ten Green MPs are going to come from Alberta, Central Alberta. I think we've really got to get a shot on that. Hmm. Although, interestingly, the redrawing of Alberta's uh, borders uh, for this writing will actually probably change the landscape of Alberta. Mm-hmm. You'll probably see at least one NDP seat in Alberta that's because of that. But mm. That's a different conversation. Um, so yes, I think it's a good idea. I think it's their only hope and it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I, it's for me, it's, it's fun to see a political party that actually is like just understanding what makes sense. It's like, yeah, we're going to do that thing that makes sense. I just <laughs> like seeing people who make sense. <laughs> I really like any strategy that I see that uh, parties are trying to, and just the political system itself is getting more diverse and that there's more opinions within that. And so any uh, effort to try and kind of bolster the kind of diversity of opinions, I think, is really powerful. Um, secondly, having 10 as a as a particular focus that you're running on also opens up kind of just the list factor. And, and from a kind of pop culture reference, we're very drawn to lists and like mm. for clickbait and all these things. 10 wasn't drawn at random. There's yeah. something about the number 10, right? The top 10 reasons that you can do X, right? right. There's different things that they could riff off of. And, and if they've started by making this announcement via the like – news type cast like weather report um maybe that might also signal that they're they're going to do this under a banner of fun as well mm-hmm. well and i've i i i to to have steal i believe this is to have steal an idea off of a uh, friend of the show tim nash but not entirely mm-hmm. certain uh he has a has a strong opinion that he believes that the green the way the strongest move a green party can make is not trying to win voters from other parties but to win voters who do not vote Mm. Uh, to actually to convince the people who aren't voting that hey we're actually someone you can vote for that will be different and I think choosing these ten and just going out to these ten and being like hey you're in a riding that we are actually trying to win uh, has a much stronger chance of appealing to people who wouldn't vote otherwise uh, because they didn't think it would matter uh, if they know they're in one of those ten ridings. Mm. All right. So, yeah, we'll have definitely obviously more on the election stuff as that develops. But uh, we've got just about 10 minutes left here in the show. And there's one or two other things I want to try and get to really quick. So the first one is uh, uh, there was a a great uh, article uh, written about some research that was done in The Guardian called Here's What Happens When You Try to Replicate Climate Contrarian Papers. So at this point, almost everybody has heard about the 97 percent stat. People frequently misquote what it actually means, so I will clarify. Uh, What was done was it was an assessment of papers written uh, from back from a certain period, and it was an assessment, a meta-study of the findings. So of all of the papers written, 97% of those papers, roughly – Papers written or papers published? Uh, sorry, uh, peer-reviewed published papers. Thank you for clarification. Uh, peer-reviewed published papers agree in anthropogenic human cause climate change. 3% do not. So this study did that. Now, there's also another number which doesn't get used as often, which I'm actually confused why. I don't, I'm not certain why. Uh, but there's another number that came out right after it, which was a review of, okay, well, of those papers that we looked at, um, let's do it by author. And when you do it by author, you actually find out that those 3% of papers were written by less than 1% of the authors Mm. uh, because 99% of the authors uh, agree. So we're talking about 1% or or less uh, of authors. And so this uh, study looked at it, and it it was including uh, uh, John Cook, of course, who is uh, a hockey stick graph guy, I believe. Right. Yes. Uh, we've also talked uh, – we've talked to somebody that was a coworker of his a little while ago about um, this effect of sort of 
convincing people and people's uh, beliefs sort of reinforcing themselves and stuff that was on a previous uh, show. But what was interesting, they found this was that they they redid them. Then, you know, science, of course, uh, the basic understanding or the, the basic principle of how it works is that data uh, research has to be uh, replicable. So they did that. They replicated it. And and you you can do that to do two things. You can verify it or you can use that to find out where there might have been, been any methodological errors. And what they found was that really what it comes down to is that in almost all cases, in almost all cases, nearly unanimously of these papers, of this 3% of papers by less 1% or less of authors that are in peer-reviewed journals that don't agree in anthropogenic humans cause climate change, the number one error. Do you want to guess? Anybody? Math. Cherry picking. Ah. They just left out data that didn't agree with their conclusions or they uh, left out uh, data sets that didn't reach their conclusions. So here's what we can and can't say. What we can't say is that absolutely, therefore, it's proven that this 1% of people are therefore lying, probably paid to be lying. Here's what we can say. There's a chance that's true. <laughs> there seems to me to be a reasonable chance that's true in, let's say, for the sake of seeing, being safe, many of those cases. Uh, but let's quickly go to you guys for comment on that. Does that surprise you at all? No. <laughs> do, there, do I need to go on? Do I need to but go like, on? What, I, what I found surprising was that it seemed to me to such a clear case of, oh, it, uh, outside of these people who appear, appear, have the appearance of being dishonest, it is actually 100%. Uh, con- uh, conclusive, which I actually found, I actually expected there to be more diversity of opinion, but there's even less diversity of opinion than I thought, uh, because it it seems very suspicious. The papers that that were viewed, uh, sort of what happened in the in the construction of them. I don't know. I'd, I I didn't expect that to be even stronger. I really like the idea of using scientific method to evaluate the like the meta science of how do we look at all the different difference of opinions and break that down and then. Yeah, using the scientific method to show that science is actually winning instead of some of the uh, more louder climate trolls that might be out there. Mm. All right. So before we get to our, our very last thing, and as I said, uh, uh, but yeah, as well, I was about to interrupt my interruption with an interruption that mm. was the same interruption. Excuse me. Uh, before we get to our last story, uh, I want to remind people, I'll take a final opportunity to remind people that uh, we skimmed through a lot of news today. If any of these spoke out to you as something you really want to know more about, uh, we've already had a couple of votes because I posted it early. I posted it yesterday. Uh, a couple of people have already voted to hear more about this story we're about to read. And a couple of people have already voted to hear more about Harperman. Uh, if Harperman wins in the votes, I may try and get Tony Turner on the show. <laughs> if this wins, we'll look up in some more uh, information. But if you want to help us uh, decide what we should be covering more in the future, you can go to greenmajority.ca right on the front page. There's a button on the right side that says vote for the news. Uh, it's also in the podcast post. So when you just go and look at the podcast post today or any day, there will be a survey now at the bottom instead of just a list where you can check out the links and then vote for the one you want us to cover more. So please do that, greenmajority.ca. Uh, we're also going to be having a very interesting discussion. Uh, I have uh, my solution to how I think uh, my personal political opinions on how I think we uh, we make sure that we get a strong, environmentally strong government. Uh, however, that's not the topic of this show. So that's going to be on our bonus show, Stefan. Yes. And uh, they're just going to have to go to the website and figure out how they find that too. Yep. I can't say any more about it. It's, it's a huge secret. Uh, so with our last few minutes here, the final story of which has uh, splitting the vote right now with uh, interviewing Tony Turner from Harper Man uh, is the connection someone did. And we mentioned this briefly on the show before, but it's the connection between Syria and the disaster, the absolute just huge humanitarian uh, disaster that is going on right now as we speak, uh, connecting it to climate change. Uh, we've mentioned it before. I wanted to mention it again because this was done in a series of actually really beautiful watercolor looking, although it was probably done on a computer, but watercolor looking uh, animated graphics 
um, essentially in a, like an animated comic book, so with still mm. frames that have movement to them, beautifully illustrating why and how a significant, significant contributing factor, uh, and this has been uh, confirmed by many or, or agreed with by many, many other sources as well, including some in the U.S. government, that the most likely instigata- uh, instigating factor in the conflict and, and the humanitarian crisis in Syria right now is drought, i.e. caused by climate change. Um, and that's something that I think is, I don't know, I want to, I guess our last comment on the show will be today to go to you guys and say, do you think that it is appropriate? And do you think that it is a good idea? And uh, basically, should we? And is it, is it the right time to make that connection? And while this is in the news, is it a, of any disrespect to the people who need help? to make this about climate change. I can see an argument for both. And the final thing will be to get each of your guys' opinions on that. Let's start with Liam. Sure. I think, um, you know, looking at the integrated ways in which all these issues are connected, uh, that that is, it's it's always appropriate to look at what are the underlying causes of the challenges that we have. And then also um, to, to look at climate change as a security issue, because absolutely, it's going to destabilize so many things unless there is like concrete and very massive action taking place on it and to be able to draw connections to say this thing and other challenge which seems separate uh has some pretty strong ties back to um the climate i think is is really really important so that we start to see these as kind of holistic and rounded things the other thing that i think is also interesting it's a couple different leaps uh the way in which this issue is really being brought to us through art. And so, uh, you know, security and migration uh, being linked to climate change, I think, is one really interesting story here. But the idea that what got us talking about it was this comic, basically, and web graphic, I think uh, the ability to tell one story through another issue is also another really interesting thing of the story. All right, Stefan. Uh, yeah, well, I want to go back to perhaps the thing I – like if Tim Nash just comes at the most famous guest of the show, this one thing is my most famous thi- – my favorite thing to say on the show, uh, which is just that this is exactly what the Pentagon talks about when it calls climate change a threat multiplier. Mm. This, is, this is what it is. Um, when when you get action when you, when something like this happens you know and it because it, it, the comment goes through when you get a drought like this that forces up 1.5 million farmers into cities looking for jobs that's what they're talking about can you imagine what would be happening right now in California if there weren't the systems that were already in place there like these are the sort of things that are happening all over the world and what I find interesting about this is I think that. These are the kind of things that actually might go missed when people talk about climate migrants. When people are talking about people who are forced out of their homes for, due to climate change, the ones that are sort of va- are, are within the, the um, that are within the vein and, and uh, under the veil of actual physical violence. Uh, will be missed. No one, no one's going to say that a Syrian refugee um, who came, who comes to comes to Canada, um, what came here because of climate change. That's not. That's no. Like they wouldn't say that. We wouldn't really think that that's the true the case. But when you have these threat multipliers occurring all over the place and these problems occurring all over the place, these are the sort of hidden climate migrants that I don't think will really ever. The people will never really see unless someone actually says, "Look, no, this is actually what part of the problem." Mm. And I think you know you can't expect us or you know or or or, or the world to sort of be like, well, the Syrian, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, this migrant problem is not even problem. This migrant um, population we have to help. Uh, we we need to help in many many ways. Um, uh, are 
we should care about climate change instead. No one's going to say that. But I think understanding the problem we, on, through the climate lens, maybe maybe that means that we will actually get some more action feet down the road on climate change. And maybe that means we can have we can actually let more people stay where they want to stay mm. uh, rather than sort of forcing them out of their house, uh, making forcing them to take disastrous journeys to places where and then you know and then of course treating them with mass amounts of racism when they get there uh maybe we could just maybe we could just make maybe we could just stop being jerks at the beginning uh and let them stay where they actually want to stay yeah uh and and one way you have to do that is understanding the climate crisis well and you know warhawks love bombing things but maybe we can send some seed bombs instead (laughs) but i mean at the end of the day extreme situations cause extreme people it's, it's just what happens, whether we're talking about extreme poverty or, or droughts or whatever it is, it, you know, for all the people that are concerned about ISIS and global terrorism and all that sort of stuff, the Pentagon also in the same thing every single time, the greatest threat to global geopolitical stability is climate change, number one, and here's why. And the sad part is, is that this is going to be the first of many. And we're just going to have to get used to it. This is about much more. Of course, we have to deal with taking care of the Syrians for now. We have to step up and do it. And we better get used to it because it ain't going to be the last one. That's it for the Green Majority this week on the radio program. Please check out greenmajority.ca and vote for the news. Other than that, see you all next week. (laughs) 